0: This is hidden gem. This is hidden This is hidden gem. This is hidden This is hidden gem. hidden hidden This is hidden Check This is episode 51 y'all dj oh so fresh man of the legendary dmv um we have a lot to dig into tonight um and uh, we're gonna make it work this night for you guys that, that's it late night so um let's get right into it man um what, the first question man, i have for you Just that I do with everybody man where 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 does your story begin were you a dj at first were you a b-boy at first were you a rap like where, where does it all begin for you man
1: so um i definitely wasn't a dj at first but Uh, Where it started is uh, when I first migrated to the US, Uh, my family came here from Iran in 1979. And it was right around the the Iranian revolution, where things were, uh, you know, uh, pretty uh, hectic back home. And I was about nine and a half. um, And my sister's four years younger than me, so she was around six. And uh, my dad was like, you know, this is not a safe environment uh, for us to be. And of course, he didn't tell us that then. We found out later on. Um, but, you know, just kind of packed up the house. Um, and I, I remember all the boxes being packed up. And we pretty much just came here with uh, a couple of suitcases of clothes. That's it. And uh, he just wanted to get us out of the country because of the revolution. And uh, we got here in 79. And... Um, uh, the first uh, hip hop record I, I heard was uh, 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 damn, I can't, I can't think, man. <laughs> Rapper's delight. I Almost said Breakers delight, but that's a whole other story. Uh, that is a whole delight. other story. <laughs> Breakers, yeah, yeah. You remember that, that that show? Frank, shout out to Frank Ski. Uh, so, uh, Rapper's delight was the first song I heard. Now, you know, I'm, I'm a 10 year old immigrant kid, uh, don't speak any English, but you know, it, it just I don't know what it was about that song that that just like I was like wow this is amazing I've never heard anything like this before, and um, you know I I recorded I remember having a little little uh, a one speaker boombox and I recorded it and I kept listening to it over and over again and I and I knew the words I could sing it word for word I didn't know what they were saying because I didn't speak English very well, um, but yeah that that was uh, my my in, intro to hip hop and then uh, I guess I was hooked and then um, uh, a few years later. In uh, the early '80s, as uh, breakdancing and, and uh, uh, just hip hop in general became a, a little bit more popular, I, I got into uh, uh, doing graffiti and uh, breakdancing, and uh, we were in a crew. And you know, we'd go out uh, writing on walls and bombing and doing doing uh, 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 pieces and stuff. I was mostly doing pieces. I, I wasn't uh, doing like a lot of tags, like like most graffiti artists. Um, I, I, I don't know. I just wanted to do big, colorful pieces and stuff. So we just that that was my entry to hip hop and then uh through breakdancing I, I got introduced to a lot of music and um uh really the way it happened is when we were breakdancing there wasn't a lot of uh uh hip hop on the radio that we could we could dance to so uh, you know if somebody went to new york they would bring a mixtape back um uh, but occasionally i would go to the record store and i'd buy buy some records like you know i remember one of the first records i, I bought was um uh, uh uh planet rock and um you know, looking for the perfect beat, those, those, those like classic B boy records, uh, in the 80s. And I would record them on cassette and take them to school. And then we would practice, uh, breakdancing, uh, after school. Um, whether it was for, you know, for battles or, or for, uh, uh, shows at school, we used to do it like, you know, do the intermission at the fashion show at, at school and, uh, um, a couple of the, um uh, uh, uh theater productions where they asked us you know during intermission can you come and dance and do, do an exhibit doing the talent shows do we would do that so we'd practice after school uh basically every, every day and um oh yeah rag said no star wars no star wars. <laughs> star wars in here nothing star wars in here oh actually i do i got i got a, i got some uh 45s <laughs> 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 so, so uh through breakdancing and the music not being readily available, I would go to a record store and buy it so I can record it on cassette tapes and kind of uh, uh, so we have stuff to, to, that we wanted to dance to, and um, and then. So I, my, my record collection grew up, yeah, and, and they didn't grow, grow like, like you see back. It was like 20, 30 records, but then uh, people would say, hey, you got all this, these, this music, I'm having a house party, can you just come over and, and bring your records? And it wasn't really even DJing at that point, because uh, I was taking my records, and it was like on their parents' turntable in the, in, in the uh, community center, or whatever, and you play one song, everybody's dancing, you take the record off, you put another song on, and, and that was it. And then I was like, you know, this is fun. And uh, that was really my introduction to to uh, uh, DJing, and then uh, you know gradually got the equipment and uh, you know got into DJing more. But that's how it started.
0: Oof, man! All right, what an intro, man. <laughs> that's a there's a lot to unpack right there, man. Um, oh, yeah, that was a lot. So <laughs> okay, so, so so before we get to the DJing aspect, though, we got to go back a little bit to I guess the graffiti scene, like. Um, I feel a lot of people that that kind of gave me emphasis on your story. They kind of brought up KGB. Did it go? Did it go right to KGB, or was there some inc- was there some things that happened before before you met KGB? And then how did you meet KGB and get put down with the crew?
1: So uh, it, it definitely wasn't right away because um, I I got into uh, you know just the breakdancing in the early eighties, like eighty, you know, it's. So uh eighty-two, eighty-three-ish in high school. And, um, and so I was just kinda uh doing my own thing. I was too young to go to go to DC for anything. Um, I couldn't go in, in any uh clubs or anything like that. Um so I wasn't really in DC running with the DC uh uh graffiti crews. Um uh, because I, I just wasn't young enough, man. I was like, you know, fourteen, fifteen high school. I didn't have a car. Um so uh, it was just around the neighborhood with, with some friends. I was the main one doing it. There was a couple other guys. Um uh uh, uh Gizmo um and Thumper were were their names. Uh, Mike Sconce and uh Tay. Uh Tay passed away a few years ago, man. We rest in peace. Uh th- those guys uh were also in the DJing and, and, and graffiti. So we would we would go around uh uh, different places, mainly Loman's Plaza off of Route 50, behind the shopping center, and 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 just uh, do murals. And then uh, later on, once I got into DJing, um, I was uh, it was probably around '91 where I was playing at the Vault on F Street, um, in the basement, and uh, uh, a guy came in, was kind of like uh, you know checking me out, like like listening to music and stuff, and. Um, by then, like fat laces and, and like the b-boy gear was kind of fading out. But he was wearing like, you know, like uh, uh probably either Puma or Adidas with some fat laces and he had like a jean jacket on, and had some graffiti on. I was like, yo, I like that. This this is like for my era. So he was kind of checking out the vibe and then he came over to me and we started talking and he was like, Yo, you you know, uh, uh you, you you break dance. So I was like, Yeah, so I, I threw on some 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 faster stuff and I went on the dance floor and did a couple of moves. He was like, Yo, so then we just kind of hit it off and uh his name is Ski. and he was in KGB and then uh so um that was that's that's all I remember and then apparently he hit up uh Ultra and was like yo I met this dude he's a DJ and uh you got to meet him so he set it up and uh uh I don't even know where we met I met met up with Ultra uh we t- talked and uh, uh he just put me down with KGB and I've I've, I've been a member since crazy graffiti brothers <laughs>
0: You know what's crazy? Um I got an interview with Cass one forty four coming up in the next couple in December and I was browsing through his pictures and I saw a picture of you. I was like, that Oso, what is Oso doing these pictures? You know? So was Cass was crazy. like, yo, you gotta ask him. Yeah, you gotta you gotta ask him. <laughs> so yeah, so I feel like K G B has like a really like uh reputation for we're we'll gonna get into that later on with Cass's episode, but like with this reputation that KGB has, if you don't guys don't know nothing about them, well, we'll see it for later. But what was your experience like being with KGB family, and what did that mean to you being a part of that being part of that crew? Well,
1: uh, to, to be a part of the crew uh, uh, was was uh, amazing um, because I had kind of moved away from, from graffiti because I was, you know, getting older and didn't you know, want to get, get in trouble and get arrested. And then uh, KGB, uh, uh, you know, added me as a member, and we started hanging out, and I started painting more. So it kind of got me back into graffiti, which I, I, I love to this day. I love it, and um uh like even like you know when i when i when I see graffiti when I see a train uh go by with uh, that's been tagged up, it like I don't know it like kind of lifts my energy. other people might say it's like, oh it's uh, you know it's vandalism, whatever, but it like it lifts my energy i absolutely love it, so um looking back, it was amazing that they actually got me back into into writing graffiti. This is a shirt I did a long time ago it's airbrushed. but Ooh. Yeah, man, it's, it says oh look ocean. at that
0: y'all. <laughs> it's is that your spray piece? Spray. Or this, who did that? Who did that? you did that piece?
1: Yeah, yeah, I did that piece. With, uh it's, okay. it's, it's not it's not with spray paint; it's, it's uh, with um, airbrush. Uh, All right, but yeah, so that that stays in my DJ room uh, in, in a half half body mannequin with headphones on next to my turntables.
0: So one of my one of my informants informed me that you had moved to Virginia back in the eighties, and there was this building that you were in that was very special to you because there was breakdances and DJs in this, in this place. What impact did that have on you in the early eighties? And do you, does that strike a memory at all for you? Absolutely. Yeah?
1: It, it was, it was more, more, uh, the neighborhood than anything. Um, the building I lived in, in, in fall church, uh, was, uh, um, damn, I can't remember the name of it. It was on the highways right across from, from that big cemetery there, uh, Churchill. Churchill Apartments, and that's still there. Um, so I lived in Churchill, and um, uh, right down the street was Pine Springs Apartments, which was another huge apartment complex where a lot of people lived, and and then um, down on on the roof, Route 50 side, uh, there was another development apartment, uh, 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 not apartment, but like, it was like a townhouse uh, complex, um, uh, and I, I think it was called Jefferson Village at the time. And that man, that was the hood. <laughs> we didn't, we didn't know that was just our neighborhoods. But looking back, that was the hood. Uh, and uh, so, so within those three apartment complexes, a lot of our, uh, like, like the hip hop uh, has either the b boys or, or the graffiti artists kind of lived. And of course, there was a couple of guys that that lived in other neighborhoods. But it was that that neighborhood where uh, everybody was in. And then um, the guy that introduced me to to DJing and really got me into it uh was a guy named Juan Ortiz and uh unfortunately he he passed away uh uh about 10 years ago may rest in peace uh, but he's the one that really got me into djing and I'll, I'll uh, you know hopefully we'll get a chance to touch on that a little bit uh but uh I can't remember he either had a cousin that lived in my building or or he later on moved to the building uh, but it was just just that whole neighborhood man it, it was uh it it was fantastic uh we had a, a b-boy crew uh called the funkadelic rockers uh, <laughs> and um uh yeah we would practice at, you know like i said after school and then we, uh we do battles and stuff we battle there was this one battle we did with this other crew it was, it was it was phenomenal it was like seen out of a movie uh but it was just a neighborhood it was just that that neighborhood so it, it, it was it was fantastic that that was uh uh where really everything started uh and um uh uh the apartment complex where i lived uh, that's you know i remember in my room uh my my sister and i shared a, a bedroom and um uh, that's where my eventually my dj setup was and that's where i would practice after school Wow. yeah so and then, uh, we had a, we had a pool at my uh at my building and uh every summer i'd get in good with the with the uh the lifeguard and he would let me bring a whole bunch of my friends in. So then all, all my friends from the, all the other uh, areas would come to our pool uh, during the summer. And then we'd be listening to music, and you know, somebody would uh, uh, bring a big piece of cardboard, or I'd bring my piece of cardboard, and it was graffitied all over. And we saw breakdancing, and swim, and go to 7-Eleven. It was, it was, man, it was a great, great time. I wish I could go back to it.
0: Dang, so OK, hey. Right. I didn't know about this. I did even know about the whole b boy. Nobody told me nothing about that. So. Well, oh, you didn't know i was a boy. Nobody oh, told okay. me. Nobody told me. Oh, nobody wow. told me.
1: Yeah. I did that before DJing. Yeah.
0: Nobody yeah, told me, so, man.
1: In in that neighborhood, I, I, the, the, can I tell a story? I'm sorry. Man, I,
0: I go ahead, yo. Tell it. Go ahead. Let's, oh, let's sorry, That's what man. it's about. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. It.
1: Please interrupt me, cause if I get on a tangent and I start telling these stories, it'll just go on forever. Shout out to a, everybody be, in the chat. Uh, before
0: you start, before you start, I'm gonna tell you something. This is hidden gems, bro. It's all about you talking, DJ Rags, everybody that's been on this episode. can tell you everything. I'll let you guys talk. So tell you, the man. story, bro. Yeah, I man. Want, I
1: don't want to keep going. Oh, before I say that, uh, major shout out to to my man DJ Rags. Uh, he did something tonight that that just blew my mind. He was he was scheduled to go live on uh, on uh, Twitch tonight and uh play some of his remixes and some of the beats that he makes um and when he realized that I was uh doing this interview tonight he decided to cancel his set um just so that uh he could uh you know not conflict with with our interview and also be able to watch so that that really um I can't even put in words man that that that's yeah uh rags man I can't put in words how much I appreciate that I never would have expected that uh um but it, it means a lot to me, man. Appreciate it. I love you, bro. Thank you for
0: that. Love you too, Rags.
1: Yeah. Um, shit, I'm getting, I'm getting emotional because of Rags, man. Rags, goddamn. See, just because of that, I get back to you. I'm gonna talk about Star Wars. No, I'm playing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so the story with the, with the b boy thing. So uh, we had a b boy crew, and. Um, uh, there was some other crew in a neighborhood uh, or, or from a different neighborhood that that through one of the, the members was like, yo, we want to come down and battle you guys. So we was like, all right, bet. You know, back then, you didn't down, back down from anybody. When it came to uh, anything, you basically practiced in the event of a battle, whether it was b-boying, graffiti, or DJing. And I always start to tell people, like, well, in, in those days when we started DJing, like, we weren't really thinking about rocking parties. We were but we would practice in, in, in the event of a battle Guess another DJ came up and, and wanted to flex you had to be ready so we all kind of got into this as as battle DJs practicing scratching and, and doing routines um so th- that's you know the the competition was was real fierce but so so this other crew ca- uh, uh challenged us and um uh, in in that area uh between where I lived and and Pine Springs, there was this one building that was abandoned, and I think it used to be a print shop. And uh, one summer day, a, a, a bunch of us from from the crew um, were just kind of uh, trying to figure out where to go hang out because it was hot as hell. It was it was too many of us to go to anybody's house, so we came across this this house that was this this building that was abandoned, and it was boarded up. And um, somebody went up to one of the boards, and it was kind of loose. So they looked inside, and it was like, yo, man. This building's abandoned and this wind this window's like open. We-, we can probably go in there and chill. So we was like, dude, this is this is kind of sketchy, but we were young and stupid. So we're like, all right, fuck it. So we peeled off the one of the uh coverings on the window and we went into this building. And it must have been a print shop because they had some equipment, some printing equipment still laying around, but you could tell nobody had been there for, for a long time. So there was this one big room and there a bunch of little rooms, um and, and, and uh so we're walking around. It's dark in there, um, and we're, we're being careful not to trip over anything. And we're looking around like, yo, this is pretty cool. Um, and then one of the guys went, found the fuse box, and he decided to flip the power on on the fuses on. So he flipped the uh, uh, the fuse on, and the lights came on. And then he he kept flipping switches, and then we heard this sound and the damn air conditioning came on. So this is an abandoned building with the full power and AC. So we were like, yo, this is dope. We made that our clubhouse. So every day we would sneak into this place uh, so that you know the, the neighbors or whatever didn't see, flip on the lights, turn the air conditioning on, bring out our cardboard, and and we start practicing. Like it was electricity there, so we could plug our uh, our uh, boom boxes in and um and just go in there. And we called it Little New York. That's that that was a nickname for it. And all the all the uh, neighborhood kids knew that, that that's where we practiced. That that became our our, our 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 like clubhouse. Um, and we called it Little New York. And it, it was so fucking dope. And uh, we started graffitiing the walls. We probably shouldn't have done that shit. So we started graffitiing the walls. It was, it was like it was like a scene out of B Street. It was amazing. And um, so. Going back to this this battle, uh, this crew, ba- uh, you know, said they want to battle us. And there was a, like a county fair at, at uh, Pine Spring Elementary, which was around the corner. And uh, so we're like, I bet whatever Saturday or whatever day it was, like, meet us there at such and such time and, and we'll battle. So um, we were there at the fair because it was our neighborhood. And so, those guys started coming. And then uh, the school officials got scared and thought we were going to fight. So they... Kicked us off the off the premises, so we were like, "Damn, wh- wh- what are we gonna do? We still gotta battle these guys." We're like, "We can't. It can't be a draw and shit." So we was like, "Yo, let's go to Little New York." So, and all the neighborhood kids like like was following us, literally. I'm. I'm. It, it was like a scene from a hip hop movie. We're walking from Pine Spring Elementary, which was maybe a, a fifteen minute walk to where our clubhouse was. And we're walking down the street. And we turn around and there must have been 40, 50 people following us because they knew it was about to go down and we we're going to battle this group. So we get to the clubhouse. We op- you know, uh, uh, got the uh, window thing open. Everybody comes in. We had a, a, a big domain room. We had a big piece of cardboard there. Oh, no. By this time, we had pooled our money together and, and, and somebody went to a flooring store and we bought, bought like a 12 by 12 piece of linoleum that we used to have it rolled up and carry on our shoulders. So once we, you know, we got that, we put it in the, in the clubhouse, we didn't have to take it anywhere. So we all go into this, this abandoned building, flick on the lights, the AAC comes on, plug in the boom box, we plug in the music, th- their crew goes on one side of the room, our crew comes on one side of the room, and I man, and we just, we battled it out. And it, it was amazing. It, it was literally a scene out of a movie, and we didn't even know it. Like we were just, it was just like what we were doing. It was just like day to day activity. Like, do you know, they challenge the crew? We battled the crew. But it was just, and yeah, of course, you know, we were poor. We didn't have, we didn't have, we didn't even have cameras back then, much less you know cell phones. So a lot of this got lost in history. We, we weren't able to capture it. We did capture some stuff. Like I have old pictures of like some of the graffiti. Um, but definitely no video, unfortunately. That would that would have been super dope to have that. But uh, so that's 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 one of my b boy uh, stories.
0: <laughs> How old were you, man? How old were you when this, when this when this all was going down?
1: This was um, we were still in high school, so I had to be in my uh, mid teens, 15, 15, Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was amazing. It was amazing. It was it was like a movie. Now that I feel like, like looking back.
0: Y'all here in the live live right now? DJ Oso, aka B Boy Oso.
1: Right, <laughs> well, and, and I w- technically I wasn't even uh, DJ Oso Fresh yet because I was like '82, '81, '82, maybe '83. I can't, I can't, I can't remember the exact date, but I hadn't re- officially started DJing yet. So I was, go- I was going by Doctor Wave because I used to do a lot of, a lot of like body wave moves and stuff. Um, so I was going by Doctor Doctor Wave at the time, and then. Um, and then eventually, I'll, I'll, you know, hopefully we'll get to, to the story of how my name name came about. Now you know. Oh, uh, well, we're
0: gonna do that right now. We're gonna do that right now. <laughs> we gonna do that right now.
1: <laughs> so, um, it, uh, so we used to practice after school all the time, and you know, we were trying to be original and not not bite anybody's name. So we was like, you know, peeping out like the New York cruise or whatever information we had from TV shows like Graffiti Rock or, um. Uh, Wild Style, which was a documentary about graffiti, that really was changed my life. Um, so we were, we were trying to come up with, with uh, you know, street names. So uh, uh, there was there was a guy that came to our school maybe in his junior year or, or, or uh, sophomore year, and his name was Max um, Maximilian, and he's on Instagram. I found him years later, but there was a song by uh, by Mantronics and almost near the end of the song uh mct says uh fly as hell and oh so fresh and dude was like you should go buy oh so fresh i was like all right cool so from that day on i went by oh so fresh and still i hadn't started djing yet so i was just still b-boy so i just went by oh so fresh and then not too long later, I, I got into to like like really DJing with two cables and a mixer, and that's that's how I got the name from from uh, our boy Maximilian uh, listening to uh, "Fresh Is the Word" by Mantronics.
0: Wow, y'all heard this live right now? How he got his name? <laughs> Dang, <laughs> Mantronics, man. Okay, okay,
1: okay. So shout out to MCT and Mantronics for uh. Helped me come up with an original name, and then of course, also fresh. You know, in the eighties, it was dope because fresh was was like the you know meant the best of everything. Everything was fresh. Your your clothes are fresh. Your your car is fresh. Your your shoes are fresh. Everything was fresh. Um, but then in the nineties, it wasn't that cool anymore. Like you know you know mid nineties you know early to mid nineties the word fresh got kind of corny. But at that point, I had the name for so long that I didn't want to change it, and it kind of stuck. And I carried it through. Uh, it was difficult. I'm not going to lie, it was difficult. People was clowning me like, oh, so fresh. <laughs> uh, but I, I held on to it. And then, you know, here we are. Almost 40 years later, I'm still oh, so fresh.
0: So speaking of the mid-90s, this brings my next question. It's kind of weird how all this stuff kind of like connects. Um, I already told you who gave me, who helped me out the questions. So I'm not going to blast somebody's name tonight on who helped me out tonight. But this question was from one of the people that helped me out tonight. In the mid 90s, you had these mixtape covers with graffiti on it. And they were all planted throughout the throughout the DMV in these used record store shops and inside record stores. What what was the whole idea behind the, the mixtapes? How did you come up with the ideas for it? And how did you how were you able to get them circulated all over the DMV?
1: That, man, that, 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 That's a wild story when I think about it. You know, uh it was just 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 the hustling, but um uh, so uh, people, you know, when I once I started DJing, and uh, people would always come up to me at clubs and say, "Yo, you you, uh, you got any tapes for sale?" and I, I never did. And uh, so then, so I, and it, people asked me so much, I was like, "You know what? The fuck it. Let me just record something." So I made a mixtape, and I'm terrible with coming up with names for stuff. And you know, I didn't want to come up. I, I didn't, and when I thought about, it, I was like, you know, um, I want to do this mixtape thing, and I might want to continue it. But I want to have some some consistency, so I don't want to like name it like DJ Clue and those guys used to name, you know, like the mixtapes, or just just come up with uh, you know cool names. So I just like fuck it, I'm just gonna do Volume One, Volume Two, Volume Three, and just go ha- however many. So that's why the names the 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 the, the names were, were basic, but I wanted to keep it that way because I didn't want to keep worrying about new names. So anyways, so I made the the, the one mixtape, Hip Hop Volume One um had some uh uh ultra had uh, designed a logo for me so I, I put that on the cover and uh uh i, I took it out to clubs with me and people asking me i would I, w- I would you know first i was giving them out and then i started selling for 10 bucks so then i made another one and i made another one and then i was selling at my dj gigs essentially and then um then i decided there was a there was a record store uh in false church called record and tape exchange um and uh I decided to go in there and see if they would be interested in selling my tapes. And I, I talked to a couple of the guys that were working there, and then they introduced me to the owner. And and I, I approached them uh, as you know, just putting the tapes in there on consignment because I knew if I said, "Hey, can, you want to buy these from me and then resell them," they were like, "Nah, we don't want to buy it." So I was like, I'll, "I'll put it, I'll give it to you on consignment. Um, I'll give you like uh, ten copies." At, at by that that point, I had a couple of couple of volumes, so I, I was like, "I'll give you five of this, five of this, and five of this." And you don't have to pay me anything, but if they sell, then you keep a percentage, you give me the rest. And they were like, okay, cool. So, I gave it to them. And uh, people, and, 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 you know, like, this is like, uh, I don't, I can't remember exactly what yours was, 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 but we didn't really have internet. We had internet, but it wasn't like internet. You know, it was like chat rooms and shit and websites. That was it. There was no Google search and nothing. There was nothing. So, um, the, uh, but uh, people caught on. That my mixtapes were at this one shop and it would sell out all the time so uh they would call me up and say hey the mixtapes sold out can you bring us some more so i would take five ten more and you know a week later to sell out so you know i was selling it there so then i was like you know what let, let me uh uh see if i can expand this a little bit so um i reached out to uh Tower records in uh fairfax and um you know, I, I said, you know, I I, I have uh, some, some um, tapes that I want to sell on consignment. And apparently they did a lot of consignments because they had a consignment department um, and a consignment manager or something. So I approached them. I said, I have these mixtapes. Are you interested? It was like, yeah, we'll take them on consignment. So I would take, uh, you know, 10 uh, copies of each one and they, they put them out. And, and again, it would sell. <laughs> And, I, and um, I would, I would you know, I would, at my gigs or people ask me, like, hey, do you, you have mixtapes? I'm like, yeah, you can get it at Tower Records in Fairfax. You can get it at Record and Tape Exchange. And then um, it occurred to me that if, if that tower had a, a consignment department, then the other towers had a consignment department. So I reached out to the Tower Records in D.C. Uh, down by uh, GW. And they picked up my tapes. So now I got my tapes at Record and Tape Exchange and uh, at Tower Records. And uh, so I was like, "All right, this is this is going good." And and now, mind you, I'm doing everything in house. I'm doing the recording, obviously. I'm doing the graphics design. I'm doing the printing myself. The color printing myself. Uh, the the you know the duplication I was doing myself originally on on a on a a, 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 a dual cassette tape. Super time consuming, man. But I did it. Um, and. Th- the packaging, and eventually the distribution, like uh, just mailing them out to different different stores, and there, there was a, another store in Chicago uh, that I contacted, because I was buying records from them, and uh, I reached out to them, and they said, yeah, we'll, we'll carry them on consignment, and I think it was Gramophone Gramophone Records in Chicago, and the same thing, I would send them 10 copies of each mixtape, it was on consignment, as they sold, they cut me a check and mailed it to me, and actually it was crazy, they were selling them like hotcakes. and then uh, so, so now I got my mixtapes at uh, a couple of indie record stores. I got it at Tower Records in D.C., Tower Records in Fairfax. Um, I reached out to Tower Records in, in um, uh, Rockville, and I don't remember if they took a batch, but they weren't really that interested, so that never really panned out. But then I reached out to Tower Records in Chicago because I was already selling it at, uh, uh, at that record store. And so Tower Records in Chicago picked them up. So then I, I looked up all the Tower Records in the area, and I called all the major cities. And they all wanted the tape, so now here I am, like making all these mixtapes and distributing them myself to all these Tower Records around the country. So in LA, uh, Denver Tower Records in Denver picked them up. Uh, Chicago, you know, um, and I can't remember. I think it was one in one or two in Florida. I can't. Remember. I don't think it was Miami. But anyways, so a, a bunch of these uh, Tower Records stores had my tapes, and then um, yeah, it just, it just it just it was nuts. Then I, then eventually I went to. Uh, um, I bought a, uh, a, a, a tape duplicator. Uh, it was a Tascam, and it was uh, one master to two to, uh, uh, dubs, but it would record at, at double the speed. So I could I could produce these tapes a lot faster, and it would record side A and B at the same time. Whereas before, I had to put the master in, record side A, flip it over, record side B, and then I'd take it out, put another tape in. So I had to do these one at a time. And now mind you, the record, the, 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 um, the record store in D, in uh false church uh record and tape exchange they were telling me to come, bring 10 at a time so i'm spending like my whole day saturday uh you know my my nights uh i had this little system going where while the tape was duplicating i would print and then i had a a, a cutter and if anybody had any of my old tapes remember the 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 inserts um, were you know shaped uh, to to fit inside the case, but then when you pulled it out, you could fold it twice, fold it out twice, and that's why I usually put the song song titles, and um, that was because I was printing them on, on my printer on a regular sheet of paper, and then using a the cutter to cut them, and you know I did all the layout myself by trial and error, you know you know laying it out, printing it out, see if it fit, making a little bit bigger until I got the um, uh, the template. Uh, right, and this was before there were any kind of templates uh, that that you can use. And then uh, Avery, uh, the the label company, had templates for the actual uh, cover on the cassette tape. So then uh, I started, uh, you know, printing those out too, and then labeling the cassette. So I had this little system going. As the tape were finished, I put the labels on them. I cut the uh, the, uh, the the insert, folded up. You know, I had this little production going all by myself. It was it was crazy, but I did it. It was it, it was good time. Make some some good money. Woo! It wasn't enough to buy a house. You know what I mean? It wasn't like DJ Clue type shit. But I was selling a lot. I was moving a lot of mixtapes. And then then a couple of record stores on F Street picked it up. Oh, how did I forget this? There was this dude on F Street called Nico. His name was Nico. And his business was Nico's Tapes. And he sold GoGo PA Tapes. So we used to go to F Street to go record shopping at, at uh, Douglas Records and the Wiz. And he had his stand set up, and I approached him one time. I was like, dude, I know you sell a lot of go-go, but I do hip-hop mixtapes. Would you be interested in selling them? He picked them up. That shit went nuts. So now, you know, uh, people like I uh, had a vendor in D.C. selling them. So, yeah, man, it was just it was just a gradual build that that not thinking about it's kind of crazy how it happened. But it just, just kind of blew up, man. I had mixtapes selling all over the place, all over the country.
0: Oof, that story, man. You are good, <laughs> man. You know what's funny about you? Also, every time I met you, every time I've seen you, every time I've, I've met you like 10 times in my life, you've always been a man of minimal. But tonight, you are giving us some some very fruitful stories, man. I, I'm really thankful for you, man. Um, no, no
1: problem, man. I, actually, honestly, in, in the 37 years I've been DJing, and almost 40 years I've been uh, involved in just uh, music and hip hop and everything. Uh, I think this is my first
0: interview. Are you serious?
1: Yeah, I don't think I've
0: ever done any interviews.
1: Hey, <laughs> oh,
0: I am think- shit. <laughs> um, another, another. I feel another really uh, monumental achievement. I feel feel you that that feel be to talk about is a uh, chamber of sound. So, um, what was your experience like with the chamber of sound? And for people that don't know chamber of sound, can you can you break it down for people that may not know about it?
1: Yeah, so uh, Chamber of Sound was an uh, like the quintessential underground club. Uh, started out by um, a couple of DJs, DJ Palash. I don't know if anybody remembers uh, Palash. Um, and later on, he linked up with uh, Said and, and uh, uh, you know they went on with the name uh, Saeed and Palash, and they they pretty much just toured all over the world. Said is is still. Uh, uh, touring and, and making music, he has his own record label. Um, he's the uh, booking agent at at the cl- uh, club Twelve After Twelve in DC. So uh, we're still in touch. Um, Palash kind of got out of the game, got married, uh, got his got a degree in, in uh, international business, and he's uh, he's doing really well. But uh, uh, P- Palash was a house DJ, uh, and him and and a couple of his friends, uh, and I, and I don't know the full details. It might have been uh, investors or whatever, but. They, they found this space and they opened up this club. Now, now it's not unusual for uh, promoters and, and DJs to kind of get investors and, and open up clubs in D.C. There, there's several of them in, in D.C. But Palak did this like 20 years before they, they even thought about it. So he was like really uh, in the forefront of this. And, uh, you know, shout out to him and his whole crew. But anyways, he, he opened up this club called Chamber of Sound. And it was, it, it was an underground club. There were no, there was, I mean, back then there was no bottle service anyways, but there were no frills. You come in, black walls, you know, uh, lighting, there was a bar, there was a stage and, um, um, and of course a, a, a DJ booth, a really nice DJ booth. And they would do, uh, a, a lot of house music and, um, he actually, uh, heard me play at the vault and that's that's a different side story but anyways palash uh started it with a couple of his friends and it was an underground club he did house music but they did a lot of hip-hop too we actually uh there was a uh, graffiti on the, on the front of uh the club uh that Assad did and uh karis one was passing through one day during the day saw the graffiti and decided to come in the club and he was like yo i like this and he, he uh, a couple of the guys were there and he was like yo, i'd like to do a show here so they booked KRS-One to perform there, and I was the like essentially the resident hip-hop DJ. So I, I played and opened up with KRS-One. I still got the flyers. That's just crazy. It, it was wild. And then uh, uh, Assad did another piece uh, that said KRS-One on stage while he was performing. It, it, was, it was just a, an incredible space for, for us to be creative and, and spin and, and just listen to good music. Um, so yeah, that was a chamber of sound, man. Uh, I have a lot of good memories from there. Did a lot, of, a lot of shows. I had my own uh, residencies. Uh, some nights was house music. Some nights was hip-hop. Uh, KGB crew, uh, we kind of hung out there. And uh, there were so many nights that after I DJed or finished DJing uh, at, like, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, we'd just, like, go out and start uh, painting and bombing. Uh, and uh, one of our favorite places was uh, down in La Plaza, Plaza uh, where the um, Amtrak trains are, the tunnel that passes underneath. There was a lot of graffiti there. We, we'd go there and, and paint stuff. And, and it, it was a good time, man. It was, it was uh, uh, again, another, I keep saying this, and it sounds cliche, but it, it was like out of a, a a hip-hop movie, you know what I mean, like out of B Street. Yeah. like Just a grimy club, good music, good people, DJs coming and going. It, it was amazing. It was an amazing time.
0: I feel another um, iconic place for you that really represents your career. I mean, there's a ton of places that, that represent your career, but another one that's... A landmark for you is Pollen. Um, what what was your what was your best fondest memories of Pollen and why were those open mics so important to you?
1: Oh man, those open mics were phenomenal, man. Um, so Pollen um, was a rave style event that happened on Wednesdays at a club in southeast called the Edge, and the crew that did put that together, uh, the crew name was uh, Digital Convergence, and I got a book down here with almost all the flyers in it. Uh it, and it's crazy I go back and 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 see some of the DJs that I played with there. Um it, the lineup was insane. But it was it was essentially a rave, but it happened weekly. And this club had a main room, they had an outdoor area or like open air with a DJ booth and it had a big warehouse area. And um during a, during uh nice uh summer fall uh months we would, I'd be playing outside and the house music would be inside. Hip hop would be outside. And, um, uh, 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 it was, it, it was just house music, drum and bass and hip hop. And there was a time where, where those scenes kind of, kind of meshed together really well. Uh, definitely hip hop and, 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 uh, drum and bass. Cause it was a lot of hip hop influence in drum and bass. So I remember, uh, DJ Rob one would play, um, before me, outside, and we play drum and bass. And then I'd come in like, you know, 12 o'clock or whatever, 12, 12, And then we'd play hip-hop to like 4 o'clock in the morning. And this was a rave-style event. And uh so people would come from all over the place. Like, people would come up from Richmond. People would come down from New York. People would come down from Philly, uh from Baltimore, all over the place. And it was... They, they had crazy DJ lineups. Sam Burns was, was a resident. Um, I brought the jungle brothers there, uh, without telling anybody. Um, at the time I was on a, a bunch of record label mailing lists where they would just send me promos, uh, in the mail. And, um, my label rep called me one night and was like, yo, the jungle brothers are in town. Are you DJing anywhere? i want to bring them through. I was like, "And it's a fucking Wednesday night. Um, and it, and again, I want to emphasize Wednesday night, and it was literally hundreds of people. There, like eight, nine hundred people in this place, lines outside. It was it was insane. And um, so I was like, "Yeah, you know, I, I gave him the address to so just come through, but I didn't tell anybody. I didn't even tell Chris enough. and uh And uh, shout out to Chris Styles. He was one of the promoters uh, uh, for Pollen. Chris Cena. Uh, I'm not gonna try to remember the names because you know my mind's going like this right now. But uh, shout out to that whole crew. I love y'all. Uh, They're like family. Um, So I didn't tell anybody. So I'm spinning and shit. And all of a sudden, Jungle Brothers come in. And people are like, yo, is that the Jungle Brothers? I was like, yeah, that's Jungle Brothers. And everyone's like, what the fuck? Are they performing? What the? I was like, no, they just came to hang out. And I don't know if they, I can't remember if they performed or not. But there was like a little side room where, where, uh, I don't know, like if they had artists coming out from out of town, they would go in there. So we went in there and I have a picture of me. Uh, Ultra, uh, DJ Rbi, uh, Chris, uh, Stylist Chris, and a um, couple other people, and in, and the Jungle Brothers. I have that picture. I gotta find it somewhere posted, man. That's a dope picture. Uh, but yeah, that was it. It was like that type of event, man. Like people would come from all over the place, and we we just. Party and dance and, and and had a great time. People would be doing drugs, obviously. It was a fucking rave. So people would be sitting there massaging each other for hours. You <laughs> know that shit was like, you know, one person massaging you, next person massaging somebody else, that person massaging somebody else. Um, people were tripping off of all kinds of shit. Uh, uh, but it was it was it was you know, great music. And then we had freestyle. Uh, we started doing this open mic things, like you mentioned. See, I like to go on these tangents, man. I got these stories, man. Um, Keep going,
0: bro. Keep going. Uh, you got this.
1: So we. Uh, we we started doing these open mics because a lot of people don't know, but Stylist Chris he's a dope DJ, and and he he was on tour as a dancer with uh, Delight um, when he was when he was in, uh, in New York living in New York, so he was heavy in in, in the in the club scene. Um, but he, that kid is nasty on the mic, yo. Chris Stylist Chris is nasty on the mic. I remember. He'd get the mic and we, you know, we'd pass it and have a cipher, and I'd be playing instrumentals, and and they would just freestyle. But Chris would look at me, like, "All right, man, I'm ready," and I would just randomly start pulling shit out of the DJ booth, like a bottle of water, an album cover, um, my needle case, just whatever I can find, and then he would just start rhyming about it off the top, and just like I would pick up a uh, like a, whatever uh, uh, record cover it was, he would start talking about the artist the song, the colors on the cover. Uh, it was just insane. That kid is nasty on the mic, yo. I'm telling you. I wish he would uh, do. So yeah, those those freestyle uh, uh, sessions, open mic sessions, were, were amazing. And actually, th- those freestyle sessions were the reason I started making instrumental mixtapes. Um, and I really started doing it for the for the MCs because they always were like, you know, we don't, you know, I I wish I had these instrumentals so I can uh, practice to or write to um, uh, or freestyle to it at, at my leisure. So I was like, bet I'm gonna put one together. So I, I put a ninety-minute uh, tape together. It was all instrumentals, and you know, me being the the person, the terrible person with naming shit, I called it uh, just beats. Uh, cuz it was just beats so just beats volume 1 and i have five volumes of that but i made the you know initially i made it for for the mc so they would have something to practice to write to and and i got a lot of good feedback from it um and people really appreciated that that i did that for the mcs cuz nobody was doing anything for the mcs uh so that that kind of took off and i made four more volumes of of those instrumental tapes and uh so that's how that's that those those freestyle open mic competitions
0: at pollen were the reason i did those instrumental tapes Also, killing it bro you're killing it tonight man we um i got one more because we're in this time this time constraint is crazy on instagram um but another question i have for you is like you know we're, we're now in 2021 right we're going through covid like what, what kind of as like a a DJ that I feel like you have like a lot of power in the community, you know what I'm saying? In terms of like doing what you want to do, do you find yourself being a constraint to like to, to to spending what you want to do? Or are you very blessed to be able to spend at venues where you can do what you want to do, and how do you overcome those adversities?
1: So I'm I'm definitely blessed to be able to do what I do um, at the venues, and um, it's really because I stuck to my guns and. Um, I got to a point where I was like, uh, no, I'm not going to play bullshit. Like, I'm going to play good music. And I'm going to try to educate my audience in the process. And uh, that's why my mixtapes were a lot of underground uh, music uh, that people didn't have access to. And And I was in a record pool. So we would get advanced copies of stuff two to three weeks before the radio stations got it. And then once the radio stations got it, it was another couple of weeks before the record stores got it. So I'm getting like hip hop records a month before, you know, it hits the stores. And so I put a lot of those records on my mixtapes. And and that I think that's one of the reasons why the mixtape did so well is because people look forward to the next volume because they were going to, they knew it was going to be some shit on there that they weren't able to, to get anywhere else. Um, I just got sidetracked. What were we talking about? Oh, so... Uh, playing in the clubs, I just decided, you know i'm not, I'm not gonna play any bullshit and I'm just gonna do what I do. And if you like it, great, book me. If you don't like it, I don't have to play for you. And um, you know, there were times where you know, I didn't have a lot of gigs, but uh, being consistent and just just sticking to my guns, uh, you know, it, it worked out. Um, I built a following um, of of uh, you know some really nice people that that appreciate what I do and want to hear what i what what I play. And I'm blessed, man. You know, a lot of DJs can't do that. A lot of DJs get stuck in, uh, you know, uh, playing in clubs and catering to whoever's there. uh, And and they don't really get to create a a, a vibe or sound for themselves. Um, And, you know, I I don't want to come across like I'm bragging, but people people will say, look, when I see your name on a flyer, I know what to expect. I know I'm going to hear some good hip hop. And, you know, I, I... I stuck to my guns and, and, and it was like, I'm not going to play any bullshit. And, and that, that's what it was. Now, do I play bullshit every once in a while? I have to. You know, it's, it's the environment, especially uh, nowadays. But that helped me uh, to, to kind of uh, uh, cut my path uh, and, and to, to kind of do what I want to do and do what I do. And I get booked for that. So people are like, "Yo, yeah, man, how are you getting booked? So I'm like pre-COVID. I was doing like f- f- tw- anywhere from 12 to 15 events a month. And... Uh, and this is years later. I'm, I'm in. I'm in my late forties. Like when I started DJing, I was like, man. By the time I'm 25, I can't be doing this shit no more. I'm be too old. Here I am, 52. I'm still doing club gigs. And uh, so yeah, I've definitely been blessed, man. But it, it, it took a lot of a lot of determination a lot of uh, like you know just saying you know kind of like fuck the system and and kind of sticking to my guns and, and just building an audience and building a reputation for myself.
0: Oh so oh so oh so. <laughs> um before i say it, what i want to say i, I want to give you the platform to say that you want to say um you definitely gave us I, I feel like man 40 years of djing i feel like you have so many more stories but um instagram constricts us to an hour um so maybe one day we could do a part two to this but um you. So you you got dude you have 30 people 35 people watching tonight so nice. you got a lot of love tonight off and on man so um If you could say anything to everybody watching tonight, anything you want to get off your chest to everybody watching, I feel like you said this is your first interview. Um, What do you want to say to everybody watching tonight, man? Anything you want to get off your chest as as a DJ and and as who you are?
1: Um, I I don't want to piss anybody off. (laughs) Uh, Now I've been known I've been known to say you know speak my mind, but you know you know uh, the the the, I've I've been fortunate enough to be present and kind of involved in hip hop and see the progression of how it started in the in the mid 70s um with my first experience being in, in 79 um and then all the different eras like the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s and i've seen the progression of of, of hip hop and um you know, I have a lot of opinions on on things um i don't like all the music that's out. I, uh, I can't say I'm, I'm, I'm excited or happy about the direction hip hop has gone as a whole. Cause this mumble rap shit is, horrible. Um, but that's a whole nother story, man. These record labels don't, don't give a shit about hip hop. Uh, they just want to cash out and, um, uh, and they cater to the lowest denominator and, uh, it's unfortunate. Uh, and a lot of people are more concerned about, uh, money and fame than, uh, than quality. So, um, uh, you know, that's one of my pet peeves and gripes, but you know, I'm not gonna uh you know, say anything else other than that. But yeah. It's uh I love hip hop. I love all aspects of hip hop. I've been involved in almost all aspects of hip hop. uh, mm-hmm. even production a little bit and, and you know, dabble a little bit in rapping, but yeah, that was just some tapes of the house and never got out. Nobody's ever gonna get it. Um uh, but I love hip hop, man, and and to see it. Kind of, you know, some people might say it's evolution. I don't think it's evolution. I think it's going downhill. A lot of people are making money, but it's not about money. Um, you know, I I don't like the direction it's going, but I understand it's a new generation, and uh, you know they got to cater to the people that are buying albums and and going to these shows and streaming and all that good shit. So that that I'll leave it at that.
0: Anything you want to say to anybody watching tonight, man? You got you got a lot of love today, man. Dude, a lot uh, of love. Shout lot. out to
1: everybody that, that tuned in, man. I uh, hope you guys uh, heard some some uh, some cool stories that you uh, hadn't heard before or didn't know about me. Um, hopefully, we can do a part two, man. I enjoyed this a lot. Uh, this is my, you know, like I said, my first interview. Uh, but shout out to everybody who joined, man. I appreciate you guys. Uh, all, all the all the folks that uh, support me and routinely come to my events. I couldn't I couldn't do this without without you guys. Um, uh, so I, I'm I'm grateful, uh, for you guys being there with me, for me and, uh, uh, giving me the opportunity to play and DJ professionally for, uh, almost four decades.
0: And, uh, on behalf of everybody watching today, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for giving me the platform to hear your story, man. I, I did not know you never give an interview tonight. Um, and I just want to give you your flowers, man. You're, you're a true icon and a true resemblance of, of, of D.C. culture, you know what I'm saying? I feel like D.C. D.V. culture is, is so important, and I feel like documenting the truth, documenting the history of our scene, while everybody's still alive, I mean, we, we've we lost so many legends in the scene, and I, I just feel like doing doing what we're doing is very important, you know, to documenting everybody's stories, you know? So, because no, nobody really does it on a level where um we can preserve things, and I feel preserving everybody's truth from their perspective is important. So so thank you for, for telling thank you for telling your truth. And, um, we all loved it, man. Yeah.
1: Thank you for doing what you do and and documenting all these things. Because like I said, uh, you know, some of these stories from back in the day, you know, we were all poor, man. We didn't have cameras and and videotape recorders. We didn't have cell phones with cameras on them where we could document this stuff. So a lot of stuff is unfortunately going to get lost. And, uh, thank you for allowing people to uh, tell their stories and documenting this and, and kind of, you know, recording history, uh, uh, verbally, so to speak. Uh, yes, sir. So thank you for that.
0: We love you, bro. We love you. <laughs> thank you guys. Good night, love also. You. Good night, y'all. Part two definitely going down. Definitely. Sounds good night, good. y'all.
1: Let's make it happen. Love you guys. All Thanks right. Everybody in the chat.